Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Uh, Again, my name is Matt, which is confusing because his name is Matt. Um, but he's moving to Ecuador soon, if you didn't know that. So I guess you could cheer. Um, but there'll be less, it might be less confusing. Um, but yeah, good morning. Great to be with you. Uh, I am beyond excited uh, to get into the scriptures with you uh, together as a community. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, go ahead and uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 1 verse 1. Uh, Today, we are turning the page in our journey through the Bible in one year, and we are embarking on a new mini-series which will focus on Isaiah and the prophets. So I'm going to jump right in and get going this morning. And as you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us again uh, as, you're, as you're making your way over to Isaiah 1, verse 1. Uh, Jesus, it is so good uh, to be together with you this morning and to uh, worship together and uh, just to just feel your presence, your love uh, in this place is uh, unlike anything else. It's unlike anything that the world has to offer. And as we open the scriptures, uh, as we contemplate our role in your church and in your biblical story, uh, I pray that it would just be real to us and that we would um, kind of expand our thinking on the ways that you would want to use us uh, to build up your church uh, day in and day out. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Isaiah 1, verse 1, says this, The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. And off he goes. 66 chapters of Isaiah speaking to the Israelites and the surrounding nations, the words that God has given him. But as we enter a series on Isaiah and the prophets, I want to start by asking a very basic question What is a prophet? The Bible is full of them. And the Old Testament in particular is characterized by the voice of the prophets. If you break the Old Testament um, into sections according to the way that um, ancient Judaism would have separated them out, you get three basic sections to the Bible, or to the Old Testament in particular. You have uh, the teachings, which include the first five books of the Bible. It's sometimes called the Book of Moses or the Book of the Law. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you've been tracking through our Bible in the year, most of the year has been spent there in the teachings or the book of Moses. Then you have uh, what they called the writings, 
which includes uh, the wisdom literature, the Psalms, a lot of the historical books, and we've touched on those in the, in the weeks leading up to Easter. Uh, but the bulk of the books in the Old Testament are devoted to the prophets. There are uh, 12 minor prophets and three major prophets, uh, each one that has a, a book in the Old Testament. Uh, and Isaiah is one of the three major prophets. But because so much of the Old Testament is devoted to their words, uh, we, uh, we want to ask, who were the prophets? And why were they so important in the biblical storyline? And the short answer is this. The prophets were men and women called by God to be his mouthpiece to the nations. And if you're familiar with the prophets of the Old Testament, you'll, you'll know that special attention was paid to the Jewish people and the words God had for them. But many of the prophets uh, follow a similar pattern. First, the prophet is called out by God and commissions for their task. Uh, second, the prophet is, prophet is given a message from God. And third, the prophet delivers that message with varying results from the people that they are speaking to. We'll look briefly at each of these in turn. First, the prophet is chosen, called out, commissioned to be a prophet. Uh, this often involves uh, God sort of marking, anointing, setting apart a man or woman for the task of being a prophet. And that person uh, was often sort of uniquely filled with the Spirit of God in order to accomplish that uh, task. Uh, so if you turn with me in your Bibles a few pages over to Isaiah 6, you can see this pattern play out in Isaiah's life. Isaiah sees a vision of God in the temple, surrounded by glory and, and seraphim and who are worshiping him. And this vision of God, it brings Isaiah down to his knees. He, he's sort of broken. He's undone by the sight that he sees. He sees his own inadequacy in light of God's glory. And then we read this in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people. And immediately, the prophetic message is given. And while we don't receive insight into the calling or commissioning of every prophet, we do get these glimpses into the commissioning of several key prophets along the way. Uh, here on the screen will be uh, the calling of Jeremiah which is probably my personal favorite uh, from among the prophets. This is Jeremiah chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah has been commissioned. And immediately, the prophetic message follows. God gives him a vision. In this case, he gets a vision of a tree, which apparently he's seeing in his mind's eye. God says, hey, do you see that that tree? Yeah, I see the tree. Okay, here's what it means. And then he follows through with the meaning of the vision. Sometimes God gave the prophets visions. Sometimes God directed the prophet to act out a message in in a sort of form of uh, street theater. So he says, hey, Jeremiah, go pack your bags and stand by the side of the road. And when the crowds start to gather and and they ask you, hey, what does this mean? What are you doing? Then tell the crowds, I'm packing my bags for exile and you should too. And the prophetic message would follow. Oftentimes, God would just speak directly to the prophet in plain language. And the prophet would turn around and share that message. Hey, this is what the Lord says. Thus saith the Lord. And then they would speak. And they would repeat the message they'd received from God word for word. Um, But overall, God spoke in a wide variety of ways through all these different prophets. But the message spoken in the Old Testament falls almost entirely into two camps. So if you look at all the prophetic books in the Old Testament and what God was speaking to Israel and the surrounding nations, there's basically two main themes, two messages, which the prophets were called to speak over and over again. And the first one was a message of judgment, and the second was a message of hope. And we'll look at these twin messages uh, more in depth in the coming weeks. But the prophets often started by speaking a message from God of judgment on Israel. Israel had broken their covenant with God. They'd been unfaithful to God. And the prophets were this anointed voice of critique and conviction against Israel's injustice and their idolatry. So they were calling out her evil and calling Israel back to God. They reminded the people that if they didn't change, that exile was coming. And, through their, and though their message included hope, it wasn't all judgment, it was also hope, It was this hope of, hey, here's who God is to us in the present. And here's what God promises to do in the future. 
So there was hope embedded in their message. But because there was judgment as well, their message was not well received. And the prophets, with few exceptions, were constantly rejected, ignored, mocked, beaten, imprisoned, put to death, and looked down on by the people whom they were sent to reach. In fact, Jesus himself, as he approaches Jerusalem to face his own rejection at the hands of the people, he weeps over the city. Have you ever done that for the city of Spokane? Have you ever just felt the weight of the city, just allowed yourself to weep over the brokenness in our city? The prophets do. Jesus does. He weeps. And this is what he says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. And that just about sums it up. But still, year after year, century after century, God continues to send prophets to Israel And their job, the job of the prophet, was to prophesy. Or said another way, it was to speak God's words in God's timing. Hey, hear the words I have for you. Speak them to this people in this place and time. To speak God's message to the people regardless of the cost. And this tradition of the prophets continued for hundreds of years through all of Israel's idolatry and injustice straight into the exile, back out of the exile. And then after the Israelites come back from exile, you get about 400 years of prophetic silence. Imagine that. That's almost two lifetimes of America with nothing. And finally, that silence is broken by a man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist shows up on the scene uh, as, as a prophet who's come in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. And he shows up on the scene as sort of this last prophet uh, in, in this long line and tradition And his job is to build on what the prophets had been doing all along by paving the way for Jesus. And finally, Jesus himself shows up on the scene as a prophet and more than a prophet. He is actually the one that the prophets have been speaking about for centuries. In fact, No one in human history has been better described with such vivid detail before they were born. And we have the prophets to thank for that. 
But through Jesus' life, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, everything changes. Everything. Humanity's relationship to God changes. Our understanding of God changes. In Jesus, we enter into a new covenant with God that's based on Jesus' blood. It's totally different than the old covenant. And the world would never be the same. The spiritual landscape shifts in and through Jesus on this cosmic scale. And from Jesus forward, uh, we actually don't see prophets emerge like they did in the Old Testament. One man, one woman, anointed by God with a prophetic message, word for word, for this nation, for America, for Iraq, for the world, whatever it is. We don't see that anymore. This one individual who says, thus saith the Lord. Well, sometimes we do, but you've got to be careful of those. <laughs> uh, we aren't adding new prophetic books to the Bible. Are you with me? Something shifted in and through Jesus. Okay, so everything changed, and we have to grasp that. The magnitude of what changed in and through Jesus. We don't have Old Testament prophets anymore. But... Interestingly enough, the New Testament church still has prophets and people who are prophesying. And it's different from the Old Testament, but it's still happening. In fact, I'll argue that it's happening way more today through the New Testament church than it ever did through the prophets in the Old Testament. And, and I want us to grasp this, and I want us to grasp the difference between Old Testament prophets and prophecy and New Testament prophets and prophecy. Because there is a difference. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. After Jesus' resurrection... A significant event happens. The Holy Spirit, who up to this point has just rested on a few key individuals for very specific purposes, is now about to be poured out on everyone who follows Jesus. And the prophets of the Old Testament were anticipating this moment, saying, hey, one day it's not just going to be one man, one woman, one prophet, whatever. It's going to be everybody. Get re anticipate that day. And the very first moment that this occurs and the Spirit is poured out is called Pentecost. Uh, the disciples are in an upper room praying. Jesus is back from the dead. He's ascended to heaven. And the Spirit is poured out on them. Uh, and, and in this moment that we call Pentecost, uh, they actually begin speaking in tongues, uh, which in this case is actually known human languages, that they're empowered by the Spirit to speak. So big festival in Jerusalem, People from all over the known world have gathered and the disciples stand up only knowing their own native language, but all of a sudden in the power of the Spirit, they begin speaking out the wonders of God in languages they hadn't known up to that point. They're just letting the Spirit move through them. And these crowds start to gather as they probably would because all of a sudden, as a foreigner in Jerusalem, you hear this person 
proclaiming the wonders of God and, and the mysteries of the gospel in your language. And, and they all kind of gather and say, hey, what, what's going on here? Uh, what's the meaning of this? And so Peter, one of the disciples, he stands up. Uh, this is a few weeks after the resurrection. And he says uh, to the crowd, this is his speech. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, everyone who follows Jesus. Your sons and daughters will what? Prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will, what? Prophesy. Not one man, one woman anointed by God for a nation, but all followers of Jesus will prophesy. Including you. But I think that stirs up a number of questions, at least in my mind. Okay, wait a second. What does that mean? Because it's not like the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament prophecy. What's the nature of this? And so one of those questions is, hey, what does it mean to prophesy? I'm going to do that? You're going to do that? What do we mean by that? And if we go with our earlier definition, then it simply means to speak God's words in God's timing. That's what the prophets did. That's what you and I now have the ability to do. But, please hear me out. The scriptures say that followers of Jesus... Prophesy in part. We have to grasp that. We prophesy in part. Meaning that we are different than the prophets of the Old Testament. We receive from God partially, not perfectly, as they did. Which is why... The Apostle Paul gives us this direction for prophesying in a church setting. 1 Corinthians 14, the Bible gives directions for worshiping in a church. And this is what he says. He says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together on a Sunday uh, for, for worship, on a Wednesday night for missional community, whatever it is, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. How many of us have something to contribute when we gather? All. Each one of us is given something by God, placed in our hearts that we then can bring and share. Each of you. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue... Two or at most three should speak. 
Okay, so he's speaking to a very charismatic church. All they were doing is speaking in tongues. He's saying, dial it back, rein that in, okay? You're going overboard. That's not our problem. It was their problem. He said, rein that in, okay? Two or at most three should do that. And you should speak one at a time. And someone should interpret. So if someone were to to feel inspired to stand up here on a Sunday and speak in tongues, praising God, then the Spirit should also empower someone with an interpretation. He's saying, hey, if you're regularly having people jump up and and pray out in tongues and nobody's ever interpreting it, you don't have people interpreting. It's not building up the church. Okay? So so just pray in tongues in your seat. Like, don't don't do it in front of the whole gathering if no one's ever going to interpret what that means. And and the Spirit should give an interpretation. Anyhow, I'm getting sidetracked. A speaker should be quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now, pay attention to this. Two or three, what? Prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. What? Who is a prophet in this context? Someone who prophesies. Someone who speaks out what they feel God has placed on their heart in that moment. Who speaks to the best of their ability, speaks God's words in God's timing. How often should that happen in a gathering? Well, Paul says, at least two or three times from the front. And when that person prophesies, they don't stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. And, and then share their message. That, that's Old Testament stuff. That's prophets with a capital P. Okay? That's not you and I. This is different. Okay, so here's just one example from a few days ago of how this might play out. As a church, uh, we are currently praying about finding a permanent building. Uh, a place that we can invest in and put down roots uh, for the years to come. And it's not our top priority uh, as a church. There's a sense in which I think we have bigger fish to fry. Uh, but it, it, as an elder team, we felt led by God to share that dream with the church. Hey, we really feel this is a dream that God's given us. Uh, let's begin praying toward that end. Let's begin setting aside our, some surplus money toward that end. I think we've got like $25, $30 set aside so far. Uh, and... Things are, things are looking great. But we said, hey, let's share this, let's share this dream with the church and just, just begin, just see what God does with it, right? And so um, several weeks ago, I was preparing to head to an international church conference in Greece uh, with a bunch of our partners from around the world. And um, before my last Sunday here, before leaving on, on that 10-day trip, I got up in front of the church, and some of you were here. I gave a building update. Hey, this building that we were praying about, you know, got bought up by a developer. We want to continue to pray and, and uh, seek out a new building. And there's two main things that we're looking for in a new building. One is, is a bigger and higher quality kid space. But two is that we'd also like to have a bigger gathering space so we have room to grow as a church. Totally makes sense on paper. The problem is, if you were here that Sunday, I, when I jumped up to speak, it was an unusually small Sunday for us, if you remember. And, and so here I am saying, we want a bigger building so that we can grow as a church. 
And I think you could have tripled the number of people in the room and we still could have fit. And so I just had that weird moment of like, I finished giving the announcement and thought like, what did I just say? Like, what, like, is this, like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, I know God was leading us to share this dream, but it just felt so weird to to get up and say that on that Sunday. And then I was off to this conference. And so as I went off to this international conference, one of the kind of questions I was carrying is, God, do you still want us to pursue this dream? Right? I'm going to surrender this to you. It's your church. We felt you put the dream on our hearts. So you lead us. If you want us to drop this dream and say where we are, that's totally fine. Like, you're in charge. But I would love for you to speak to me through the course of this conference, to give me a prophetic word to confirm whether or not we should keep moving forward and praying um, toward this, or whether or not we should let it go. God, speak. Speak through anyone. It doesn't matter to me. Um, And so... We headed into the conference, uh, and as we're going through the conference, it's really intense, really beautiful. The Spirit's moving in power. Tons of prophetic words are actually being shared from the front, uh, none of them directly for me, nothing to do with the building. So, okay, totally fine. We're all just here seeking God together. And then uh, maybe the second or third day into the conference, they said, hey, just there's 300 people there. They said, hey, go ahead and circle up with some of the people around you um, and just begin to pray for each other. And I didn't know anybody in my group. I had never seen any of them before. But I thought, hey, let's, you know, let's all circle up and start praying. So we pray for the first guy to my left. Prayer goes, great, that's awesome. We're done praying for him. Everybody turns to me. Okay, let's start praying. And so people are praying over me. And uh, one of the ladies in the group just says, hey, as we've been praying over you, I just have this uh, image in my mind. And it's of a plant uh, and the plant is, is gently being pulled up out of the soil. It's being, it's being loosened and, and pulled up. And as it's being pulled up, I can see it has a lot of roots, like uh, really deep roots that have, that have gone and, and filled this space. And, and it's being lifted up out of the soil because it needs to be moved to a different pot, uh, to a bigger pot, to a pot where it has room to grow. And, and then she kind of paused for a second and she said, does that mean anything to you? <laughs> and, and at this point I have tears, you know, welling up in my eyes and I said, yeah, yeah, that actually does. Um, and then they continued to pray for me. This woman had never seen me before. She didn't know my name. She didn't even know what the vision meant because she continued to pray and she thought, well, it means something to him. And she thought it had something to do with like my devotional life or something. Like she had no idea. And I could tell that she was new to this kind of stuff. She was like kind of shared nervously and was like, uh, like I don't really know, but this is what I see. And, and kind of she stepped out and took this risk. And, and what happened? She was, she was prophesying. She didn't know what she was saying. She didn't know what it meant. But I knew. And I knew in that moment, God's speaking to me right now. And in that, the church is being strengthened and built up. Do you see how that works? That's what New Testament prophecy looks like. It's not like Old Testament prophets. It's something totally different. But God is still speaking, and he's now able to speak through each and every one of us. 
people are still prophesying. It just sounds more like this. Hey, I have a sense that God wants to say, he's just overwhelmed with love for you this morning. He doesn't care about your past. I just, I just have, it's burning in my heart. I sense how much he loves you. I just want to share that with you. Hey, as we've been worshiping this morning, um, you know, I've just had Romans 8 on my heart. I, I'd love to just stand up here. I'd love to read this over us as we continue in worship. Maybe, maybe this is for some of you in particular this morning. I can't get it off my heart. Hey, as I was uh, praying for you this morning before church, I just had this vision of you wandering around in the street and, and God kind of came out onto the street and welcomed you into a banquet table. And he, and he put a robe on you and, and he said, hey, don't worry about your parents. I don't, know, I don't know if that's from God or not. You have to weigh that. But I just wanted to be faithful in passing that on. That was just on my heart. That was on my, that, that, that's, the type, that's what New Testament prophecy, hey, as we were praying, as we were worshiping, hey, I haven't been able to get this out of my, out of my, my heart, out of my mind. I don't know if it's from God or not. You have to weigh it because we prophesy in part. That's what New Testament prophecy looks like. It's us, every one of us, sharing what God has put on our hearts so that the church might be built up. Without that, there's so much that we miss. And, and this is where things really hit home because we want to have a biblical church. We want this to be the church that God wants. Not the church that I want, not the church that we think we should have. We want this to be the church that God wants, where his presence and his power are felt by those of us who gather, where God is magnified, is glorified in the gathering. And in order for that to happen, we actually have to be open to prophetic words. We have to be open to God speaking to me and through me for someone else. And maybe it'll burn on your heart something to share with the whole gathering. Maybe it's just for one person. Hey, go tell Richard. Go tell him. This is how I feel. This is, this is what I want you to share with him. And, and there should be that sense. I spoke earlier of expectation. There should be that sense walking in the door. Of, of, man, through the course of a single gathering on a Sunday, there should be dozens of prophetic words that are shared. Dozens. In the conversations before and after, during the prayer time, that we do at the end of the gathering as people come and, and are prayed over two or three times at least from the front. That's Paul saying, that's a healthy vibe. That church is going to flourish. That church is going to be built up. And that's a Sunday thing. And that's a missional community thing. And, and we don't go around calling ourselves capital P prophets, Okay. I'm never going to introduce myself that way. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm a prophet. <laughs> no, I'm not. But all of us who belong to Jesus now have the ability to prophesy, to speak God's words in God's timing. In fact, God promised it would happen. Not to the super spiritual among you. Not to the person who draws a salary from the church. Men and women, old and young, new Christians, decades old Christians, everyone 
God said, I didn't make that up. God said that. This is how it's going to happen. That's available to you. Okay, uh, so with uh, all of that in mind, I want to do one more thing before we end this morning, uh, and that's that I'd like to invite uh, Megan Albion uh, up to the front. Uh, we, can, we can clap for her as she comes. Um, and Megan, I'll give you this one. Uh, Megan is one of our leaders here, and you can stand here if you want or whatever. Um, Megan's one of our leaders here, and uh, her and her husband, Stephen, um, got to travel with us to Greece and participate in the conference. And so um, before we close, I just wanted to invite Megan to share a little bit of her experience there, and um, it will make more sense when she's done. Is that mic? Is this mic on? It is. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, Megan, take it away. Um. First, I'm going to pray for myself because I'm extremely nervous. Uh, so you guys can pray with me <laughs> and for me. Um, God, please just calm my nerves, and I just ask that you use me to be your mouthpiece today, um, that my story in Greece is for everyone here. It's not my own, and that people's hearts will be open. And I also just pray against um, the enemy's schemes right now as we're moving forward to breakthrough, Father God. I just pray that you protect us with Jesus' blood. And... Um, Yep, that's good. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I did write down little bullet points because even though it's my story, there was like so much that happened in Greece that um, I could easily get sidetracked. And I think that some people who've asked me what happened in Greece realize that because I jump from one story to the next to the next and then go back to the first story I was telling. Um, so Stephen and I got asked by Matt to go to Greece and our first reaction was, why? <laughs> like, who are we? Um, but then we prayed about it, and we really felt called to go to Greece. And, um, and as a mom of a little one, I was like, I'm going to have to leave Josheb for almost a week, or over a week, for the first time ever, and I'm terrified. And I just knew I was going to die on a plane crash, because that's what rational people believe. And so I say goodbye to my son for the last time, <laughs> and we drive to my death. That's how I felt. Um, but I made it, obviously. Josheb saw his mother again. Um, but... Come, leading up to Greece, Stephen and I were just anticipating God to be there. And we were so stoked. And the first night, also warning, I might cry because it was powerful, guys. And bear with me. But, okay, the first night, this guy who pretty much orchestrated everything, or I don't know what he did, actually, so I might have just lied. But he tells us, he's like, tonight is just, it's not a warm-up night, guys. Like, show up. Like, come here ready. And first drum on that guitar, I mean, people were like, praising Jesus. And I mean like praising Jesus. Like it wasn't a warm up. We weren't like loosening out our like spiritual genes. We were like, yes, God, you are here and you are with us and we're ready. And so Stephen and I just could not shut up about how excited we were after that. And then um, immediately the warfare began and it was hard for me. Oh, I didn't think I was going to cry this soon. Um, and the lies of Megan, you don't belong here. Like, because these people are titans of faith. Like, they're planting churches in countries that don't like them. And I do help out here, but I'm like, I'm really nobody, <laughs> you know? Um, and I just felt, I don't belong here. This isn't for me. I'm so selfish for coming. And so we had these little prayer groups, and thank goodness Stephen was with me, because everybody else is from a different country, and I don't know anybody, and I don't do well with not knowing people. 
And this one woman just kept on praying, like, each day, Megan, I just feel, like, it was, it was stuff that was so personal to me. I was praying this on my personal time, and she's praying it to me. She's praying specifically about my season, and she's building me up. And immediately, I'd walk out of that room, and I'd say, oh, my gosh, the woman is deceived. Stephen, I feel so bad for her. She's telling me these things, but it's not true. Oh, and then Stephen's like, because my husband's great, he's like, no, you're deceived, and you need to fight, because the enemy is coming after you, and he, like, stood there and kind of lectured me, which I was like, oh, maybe that wasn't the best approach, but I, <laughs> I did realize that, hey, there's, there's warfare happening, and with all my heart, I believe that when you feel the enemy coming after you, or you feel um, spiritual tension, it's because there's two things that can happen. Amazing breakthrough can happen, or you can continue to believe the lies and just sit there, and that's usually what I've done, but I didn't, and that's why I'm up here, because I get to share my breakthrough. Um, so, I think it was the second night or the third night, Mark DuPont, which you guys may know who he is. I did not know who he is, but he's a pretty awesome guy, and he spoke, and he spoke about having a revelation of the Father's love, which, amazing. I don't even know what to say about it, um, but I have like three pages of notes if you want to read them, but they probably don't make any sense. But anyways, something that he said was, my significance needs to come from the Father's heart. And that spoke to me. Um, and then he started talking about this orphan spirit. And my whole life I have dealt with this spirit of feeling like, oh, I know, I know God's love is great for every one of his children, but it's not for me. And if you didn't believe it, I mean, I believed it so much for you, like you didn't even need to. I mean, I just knew God loved everybody so much, but I never, ever, ever said that was mine. And so he calls all these little orphans forward, and I was like, I'm an orphan. So I walk up, but I'm like half committed. So I'm an orphan, but I don't fully want to be healed, apparently, because I stand at the back. And I'm like, okay, God, I don't know why I'm here. Will you please speak to me? And I mean, the warfare this night was insane. It was almost like the voice that I was hearing was not my own anymore, but it was something outside of me, and it's like, go back to your seat these leaders, because nobody was praying for me. Oh, I forgot to say that. Um, everybody's getting prayed for, and I'm like noticing like people are receiving prayer, but nobody comes to me, and I was like, they even notice that I don't belong. Like, they can recognize my insignificance. Um, and so I just stood there and cried, and I cried a lot. I think I cried like a week straight. Um, and I, I just stood there, and then this woman named Helen, who is planting a church in a country that would easily kill her if they found out what was going on. She comes and prays for me. And that's such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ because I may be a toe and she may be a leg because she's awesome. But if her toe is broken, she's going to walk with the limp. So she was taking care of the toe. And she comes over and she starts praying for me. And she says, oh, Megan. And I'm like, yes. And she's like, I have a word for you. And I was like, okay. And she's like, there's this garden and there's this just massive rock in the center of this garden. And God wants to remove the rock so that seeds can be planted. She's like, does that make sense? I was like, yeah, it does. There's a spirit inside of me that needs to leave. And so she prays for me. But even though it was a beautiful prayer, it still wasn't breakthrough. It was saying that breakthrough was going to happen. But I didn't know how long. And I was like, okay. And I'm slightly disappointed um, because I was like, I still feel so desperate. And so before leading up to um, 
this evening, I'm just going to share. I kept telling Stephen about the Canaanite woman who ran up to Jesus um, because her daughter was possessed by demons. And he was like, or she, sorry. She's like, Jesus, you need to set my daughter free. And he just ignored her. And then the disciples were like, oh my gosh, Jesus, she will not stop. Like, send her away. And then Jesus says, like, you need to flee and pretty much calls her a dog. Um, <laughs> thank you, Janice. Um, but he did. He said, why would I feed the bread that's for the children to the dog? Because he came for the lost sheep of Israel. And she says, the dog even gets scraps, Lord. Like, hey, I'll take some scraps. And I just remember crying to Stephen. I was like, I am that dog. Everybody else is feasting with Jesus. And I'm just looking up, and I'm just like, throw me something because I'm so hungry, so desperate, so broken. A scrap would be a full-blown meal, and I just want that meal. And... um, So that's what I'm feeling. And then I got a little scrap, and I was like, actually, that wasn't a meal. I need more. And so so Helen, because she loved me, she brought me to pray with other people. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't pray for anybody she had me pray for. I just sat there in my own head upset. And then I ended up walking away from the conference and going downstairs and crying for myself and um, debating on just going to my room because I was just over it. I was over feeling not welcome. I was over it. And And nobody is doing this. This is not because of anybody else. This is totally the enemy trying to put me down. And I was believing it. And then something kind of welled inside of me. And I was like, no, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to march my butt back to that front. And I'm going to stand there until you come. And so I did. And I marched and I stood there and I said, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, Lord, how do I even open up my heart to receive? Like, I don't even know what that looks like. Just come. I cannot leave this place. And I was, I was willing to stand there. I was willing to miss dinner. I was willing to be that weird girl who, like, everybody's like, Megan, we packed up. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to stand here. Um, and people, as of now, are, like, passing out and, like, falling on the ground because the Spirit is coming upon them. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. I don't want that, Lord. Um, <laughs> I thought that was really weird. Um, I mean, I believe God does that, but I didn't want it for myself. I wanted something else. (laughs) And so I was hoping that, like, some massive leader would come up to me, which they're all leaders there, and come up and pray for me. And then these two really small English people come over to me, and they're like, can we pray for you? And I said, sure. And, And then they just touched me. And something just comes over me. And I'm not, like, what I'm about to describe is not beautiful imagery for a nice story like this is actually happening. You know, if you're an onlooker, you'd be like, okay. But this is happening. And something comes over me. And it's like I'm kind of in the ocean. And I'm, like, swaying. And I've tried to, like, mimic what I did, but I can't because it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. And they're praying in tongues. I have no idea what they're saying. But whatever they're doing, it's bringing something. And it's bringing something massive. And so I'm just like rocking gently back and forth. And it was like God was pulling me back to shore. And as I got closer to shore, I didn't really have the support from the back. I was having a lot of just like head front waves coming. And I'm like about to fall, which is what I said I didn't want to do. And I am like, Lord, I do not want to fall. You will not catch me because when you're an orphan, you don't trust that God is going to be there to get you. You know, you don't trust that if you fall because of the spirit that you're going to be okay Like, you just don't have any trust in you. Um, And so I'm, like, literally, like, fighting Holy Spirit, trying to 
come upon me because that's what I do. And I'm like standing like this, like, ah! And this little English man, he says, sweetheart, you need to fall. (laughs) And he said, I'm going to catch you, (laughs) which is what I was scared about. And so (laughs) Holy Spirit came, and it was the biggest (laughs) push of love that I've ever felt. And I, I had no control over my body. I was another one of the people lying on the ground. And he caught me. Um, and he laid me down so sweetly. And he places his hand on my head and he continues to pray. He doesn't just leave me. His work wasn't finished, you know. He knew, he knew that he had to take care of his sister who was broken. And so he stood there. And um, that rock <laughs> that I mentioned earlier... I didn't know that it was actually physically manifesting itself on my heart. And I actually felt something being lifted off of me. And I'm like ugly crying. Like this is sweet crying. No, I was like bawling out loud. Like my face looks horrible. I could not control it. And it wasn't because I was in pain. It was because I was so overwhelmed by the amount of love that God had for me, which I didn't know was mine. So this, this rock is being lifted. And I remember after it finally came off me, I just breathed. And I breathed for the first time, and I didn't know that I didn't know how to breathe. (laughs) But I could breathe. And so I'm breathing, and I was like, oh my gosh, I am so free. I am so loved. And so I open up my eyes, and I look at these people who are like very faithful servants, and they're, you know, looking at me like, oh, okay, are you okay now? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And then they gave me these words, and because that orphan spirit was released or taken away from me, I accepted everything that they said. And the two things that they kept saying were, you are so loved. And they had tears in their eyes, so they felt the love that God had for me. And that's kind of how it is when we love our brothers and sisters. Um, and I was just like, okay, thank you. And I like walked away and almost didn't tell my husband anything because that orphan spirit was trying to come back and be like, no, it's not yours. But I was like, no. I'm going to tell you, this is what happened. This is what they said. I am not an orphan, and I claim that. And my husband is like, yes. Um, And then he goes to bed because we go to bed early, and I couldn't sleep because Holy Spirit did not leave me alone. (laughs) But it was good. It was like God knew that if, if Holy Spirit didn't stay with me that night, that I would forget. And so I literally just felt this overwhelming presence of God. And then I had this fear. And I was like, God, I just experienced you. I'm so scared. I'm going to lose this now. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to be a mom again, and I'm going to forget about you. Um, And I just was really inspired. uh, I feel, you test it, Um, I feel that what God was speaking to my heart was, Megan, this is what you were made for. This is what you were created for. You were created to go from glory to glory. You are supposed to have your daily bread, which is, I think, when God says, or Jesus says that, it's not just like your physical provision, which I believe God provides for us physically, but it's also your spiritual provision. And God gives us bread, and he doesn't say, okay, I'm going to give you like a big loaf, and it should last you about a year, you know, because how much of us know, like, if you have the same bread for a year, it's going to get stale, it's going to lose flavor, it's not going to be as good. But we're supposed to have daily bread, and so I was like, okay, Lord, how do I have daily bread? And so it's just been this journey since being home on receiving daily bread, which is pretty awesome, guys. Highly recommended from me. Um, all right, I have to look at my notes. Um, yep, I said that. Oh, yes, okay, so the next day, 
I, I'm done with that night. Sorry, guys. So the next day I go, and um, I was actually feeling kind of sick before the evening gathering. I had really bad stomach pains, and Stephen's like, oh, just go back to the hotel rest. And we started praying, or we were singing, and this song about God being our healer came on. And I was like, okay, this is just, like, uncomfortable. It's not, like, a big deal, but you're my healer. And then immediately like no pain. And I was able to stay. I was able to worship. And I'm just like worshiping God. I'm just thanking him for just like taking away my stomach pains. And then this woman comes up to me and she gives me a word. (laughs) And this is something that I've always secretly longed for and prayed for. And I will share it with you. Don't expect much out of me because I'm trying to cultivate it. Um, But she said that there was these jewels falling on all these peoples and it was spiritual gifts. And she said that God is giving me the gift of prophecy. And I was like, okay, that is a huge responsibility because God it wants to speak to our church, and if you have a prophetic gift, you should be using it to build up the body of Christ. And so I was like, so I'm about to be prophesying. So it's not something I get to hold on and say, oh, that was nice. Like, I actually have to cultivate it. Um, and then I open up my eyes afterwards, but I'm just like, wow, God, you actually think something of me. Um, and then this other woman, she's like, well, I have a word for you too. Can I share? And I was like, bring it on. Like, if, if you all have a word for me, I'll take it. Um, and so then she, she prophesied something over me that has been my secret prayer my whole life. I always want to be an encourager, and I always want to love well, and I want to bless others. Like, that is just what my heart is. And she told me I was Mother Israel, and that's what Mother Israel did. But she was an older woman, and she would just build up the other women, and she would speak wisdom, and she would encourage, and she would love on them, and build up the church. But she said, but you're going to do this when you're young. (laughs) Like, this is happening now. You don't have to be old to do this. And I just wept because I was like, God, that's what I've prayed for my whole life. And then I realized, like, if if I got those words at the beginning of the conference, I never would have claimed him as my own because I was still an orphan. Um, And now I'm totally adopted, by the way. Um, And so I just want to share something about the orphan spirit Um, And I wrote this down, so I'm going to be looking down. This experience isn't just for me. It's not meant to stay in Greece. It's for here and now. But for many of us, it starts with God removing the orphan spirit and actually adopting us. Um, People often speak and work from their brokenness, but imagine if they spoke through belonging, worked as beloved. The kingdom will never have a shortage But before when I lived with the orphan spirit, I'd easily get jealous of other people's successes or experiences with God. I was always scared that after God was done loving his favorites, he wouldn't have enough for me, and I cared about what others thought of me, and if I was holy enough to them or worthy. I had a very hard time celebrating others' achievements because I thought, well, what about me? But when you're adopted, and I mean like fully adopted, you aren't focused on what others have because you fully know what belongs to you. You know what's yours. And you and I can run the race that God places before us without looking to the right or the left. We stop competing with one another and we start building each other up. Tozer wrote, we are not unwanted children. God greatly desires our fellowship. And um, ever since we've been back to Greece, all of us just have a heart for revival, not only here, but in Spokane. And I really feel as I was asked to share, I prayed over this week and been praying for all of us. Um, I really believe it starts with belonging because you're going to work out of brokenness if you don't belong. And I don't think revival can come um, if we're feeling unloved because we won't even believe that it can come.
but it has to start with adoption. And so I feel like that's what I had to share with you guys. And that is all. Thanks so much, Megan. Um, that's amazing. And so what, what Megan just did was she just prophesied a lot over, over the life of our church. And notice that, that prophecy isn't this weird, like, predicting the future thing. Hey, I know what's going to happen next Tuesday. No, it's just saying, hey, here's what God has laid on my heart for you right now. And so I believe what she just brought, not only did you hear in that what, what a vibrant prophetic community looks like, but you also heard prophetic words for our church, and that, that if we're going to move forward, and we feel she's right, we feel this increasing call of like, we don't just want a healthy church, like we want revival, we want a fire to break out, but it starts actually with us in this room receiving from God um, and, and receiving that father heart and actually it, it, it being freed of the orphan spirit. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team. Uh, and uh, we are, are just going to continue in, in worship here. Uh, but as we do, myself, Megan, a handful of other people uh, are just going to be along the sidewall here. And if anything that's been spoken this morning struck a chord in you, uh, we want to pray for you. Uh, I think Megan's right that, that some of us are ready for that breakthrough moment, um, that a ton of us in this room this morning need to start a journey of releasing the orphan spirit, receiving uh, the Father heart of God, uh, that, that a handful of us in this room, maybe even as we've been speaking about this, feel it burning on your heart because you know that God wants to further release you in the prophetic, and actually being somebody who encourages and who builds up. Every one of us is capable of it. And and so saying, God, open this up in me. I I want you to work through me in this way. Uh, And you heard the the warfare that happens. You hear that voice of logic, the voice of the enemy, saying, you're not worthy. Not you. Not you. Surely the people around you, but not you. We rebuke that. Rebuke that. That's not Jesus. That's not the way... It's not the way he talks to us. It's not the way he talks to his kids. And so if you, if you want prayer for any of that stuff, we'll be along the side. In the meantime, uh, the tables are open. So if you've already given your life to Jesus, go ahead and come down any, any point over the course of this next song. Grab the bread, dip it in the cup, and we'll take communion together at the end of this next song. And uh, through, these, through these next songs, please, if you, if you want prayer... Uh, if you want any of that stuff Megan was talking about, uh, we'll be along the sidewall. Um, let, let's press in. Let's pursue God together.